Okay, so I'm really happy to welcome on the Metaverse show, Carlos Gonzalez Juarez. Um, welcome to the show, CTO of Aragon. So sorry to not not fully pronounce the name. I, I kind of maybe semi got Juarez, but we describe Aragon as the most user-friendly tech stack for DAOs. Obviously, I'm sure if you're in Web3, you know Aragon, so I'm not going to spend too much time explaining that, although we will get into perhaps big news, updates, and, and maybe roadmap. So as I said, you're CTO of Aragon. You've been there for about a year. You're also a seasoned founder um, with one exit under your belt to Gemini. So congratulations on, on that. And like, there's many reasons why we've got you on the show. I guess two are highlighted to me from various teams. I think the first one was something you said back in May earlier this year, which was um, that there are lots of conversations uh, with DAOs about their future in a multi-chain universe. And you did this great thread on something called One DAO to Rule Them All. So definitely want to touch upon that. And then the second one is a recurring theme really on this show, which is the convergence of Web3 and AI. Um, and in particular, thinking around um, how you build this modular stack in the context of AI first. So rather than mobile first, AI first, which of course is, is super interesting. So um, before we get into all of that, let's let's get to know Carlos a little bit more. So maybe you could give us a, a kind of sh short summary of your background and and. Uh, how you ended up at Aragon? So, I mean, I started programming when I was pretty young, actually, around 14. In the beginning, it was all because my computer was full of virus, my Windows, and I was like, I'm tired of this shit. And I went in to install Linux, and then everything was so messy, it was so bad, that I had to start doing my own coding, my own things in the terminal. And that's how I started programming, really. Then I started working as a programmer when I was 15 years old, doing websites for people around Spain. And from then on, I just kept working every single year uh, in programming. Uh, while I was in the university, one of the things is I was always building products and projects with, with my friends out there. And one of, the, one of them that really took off was called Gesser. It was a prediction market on top of Ethereum. And this was around 2016, I believe. Yeah, 2016. And that's what we started doing. We started doing a uh, prediction markets platform on top of Ethereum. We did first a protocol and then we ran it with Logger, which was another protocol. Um, so we tried like very different things. We raised uh, capital from BoostVC, great people out there. Like Adam is great and Braden as well. And also version one, which they help a lot. And well, at the end, to be honest, like this happens to everyone. We didn't follow the product market fit. That's how it is. It's very tough in crypto. And at the end, we were acquired by Gemini to meet the DeFi efforts in the in the company. Uh, okay. In there, yeah. yeah, in there, yeah. I did, I did things regarding um, the staking, the staking on Ethereum and on different platforms. But it wasn't a great fit for me. It was like. A, a big company, not that, that that is bad or anything. It's just like it was not the spirit I was in by that. So I got contacted by Luis, the founder of Aragon. They were like they were in need of someone leading the engineering and, and kind of like having the technological vision of where Web3 was going to. And I joined Aragon one year ago to do that. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the acquihire is always, uh, on the one hand, it's a great outcome because, you know, if you've struggled to get product market fit, it's a shame 
that that would lead to nothing. So an acquisition is something. But yeah, of course, you know, you're then founders within a company. And uh, that 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 more often than not doesn't work out long term. So it's uh, not unusual, right? Yeah, at least I felt quite happy in the outcome because like the people that were at Gesser, the, the employees were my friends, really. Like after those years of struggling, I like building something that we care a lot. They, you, you become really friendly with them, you know, like almost family. And a way for them to keep going, working on things that they like uh, in a good position. That's something that for me was also very important. And if we were to shut down the company, even though we were a little bit far from there, like we still had some runway, having that feeling that at least employees, my friends were going to be okay in a good place, that was really important for me. There's, a, there's always this debate around, you know, as a startup, a family or a team, I think pre-product market fit, you are very much a team. You're in the struggle together. You know, you're small enough to be to be a family. And ultimately, you're spending probably more time with these people than you are with your family anyway. So they're like a proxy proxy family. So feeling that responsibility of landing them in, uh, in, in a secure job is, uh, is, is a great thing to see. A good testament to you as a, as a founder as well with integrity. So, uh, so then you, um, and look, you know, Gemini's uh, a great place to be to learn, right, as well, if, if you want to get to the point of, of being a scale-up in the future. Totally, totally. Like even myself, that I was like quite experienced in terms of engineering when I arrived there, it was the first time that I, I was actually in a big company doing big processes. I like heavy engineering. Like in that sense, I learned a lot and I'm pretty, pretty happy with my experience in there. Like and I made great friends. Visual-wise, I like the way of working. It was not the great thing because I'm more used to something more lean. Yes. But it's just, it's all good. It's just different ways of working. When I joined Gemini, we were around, what was it, 60 people, something like that. And it went up to 400 in a year. Wow. So like, that's crazy growth. Crazy growth. Yeah, it went from yeah. 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 And right after I left is when all the thing, like all, everything in, not only crypto, but like tech in general, started the layoffs and all that stuff. So, I guess it has gone down by a lot, but it grew massively a year. All right, so let's get into the, the juicy stuff. Thanks for the for the background. So, so it's at the top end. Let's start with this one DAO to rule them all in the context of a multi chain world. So I think everybody's now maybe a bar a very small few of Bitcoin maxis accepted that it is a multi chain universe. And of course, there's lots of work now happening on interoperability and bridges. Maybe you could just set the scene there, and, and then we can go into you know why why you think what one doubt doubt to rule them all. I'm going to like give like also and I have hypothesis on what I believe. Obviously, I can be wrong as anyone, but this is like the hypothesis that I'm following when I'm thinking about the future of of doubt. And the thing is, like one of the major uh, advancements in tech that we've done in the last couple of years in, in Ethereum in, in particular, it's about the layers, right? Um, so I would I would focus on these layers rather than saying multi-chain in the sense like for me it's super important the decentralization and the security. And if you you don't inherit uh, that from Ethereum, you will be you will struggle. So th this means, for example, if you go to uh, Gnosis chain, or if you go to Avalanche, or if you go to this chain, you are not in anything that. And for me, for me in particular, that is very important. 
I'm not saying that those chains don't make any sense. I'm just saying that it serves different purposes. And for the purposes of decentralization and DAOs, I think inheriting the security of Ethereum and being part of that community, it's very important. If you focus on those layers, you still see that there are massive improvements in terms of the scalability, and that is enabling that the innovation now, instead of happening multi-chain, as it used to happen one year ago or two years ago, now as it happens within the layers. So you can take a look at the, at the announcement that Polygon did two days ago. I think it reflects this perfectly. Polygon right now, at least, it's a proof of stake chain. It's like a side chain per se, right? So another chain that is nothing to do with Ethereum. But they announced that they are going to be a roll-up. What that means is like they, they realize that the security at some point or at some levels, it's on Ethereum and they want to take um, benefit from it and also benefit the whole thing community at the same time. Um, so I think that's where the, the, the roads are going to, we are going to have like different layers and the higher you go into them, the higher throughput and the higher speed, the higher, uh, transactions per second you're going to have. And yeah, those advancements are, are actually happening right now. You can see like CK Sync is launching their layer three versions. Star Wars had them from two years ago. Polygon uh, is having the supernets launching this year. Uh, optimism with this super chain uh, vision. So this is actually happening. Like the throughput is going to be in these layers of Ethereum. Then the next question is like, how do you connect all those things? Is with bridges. Uh, CK technology here plays a huge role. With CK technology, you can have near to instant settlement between different chains. So if you go, for example, once you go from optimism to mainnet, right now that takes 14 days. 14 days to withdraw your assets from one chain to another. That's crazy. Ticket technology allows for almost instant um, withdrawals. So the, so my, when I start thinking about DAOs in this sense, it's like, okay, DAOs will be able to be on, on different chains because they will have instant withdrawals from anyone, anywhere. How can we make a DAO that is able to do that? Like, because right now, when you have a DAO, you have governance in that particular DAO. The, asset, the assets will be in different chains. The tokens to vault with will be in different chains. Um, so basically, everything is going to be in silos. The bridges will be connecting a little bit, but you still need to manage that liquidity. You still need to manage the votes. Um, that's a little bit where my, my thoughts are. How can we accomplish that? Um, my approach here till now is like, you have one DAO, whatever you want. And then you can have several proxies that execute for that something for that uh, DAO. What this means is like you have your DAO, for example, in mainnet, for example, which is for the liquidity right now. You normally will execute things on, on that chain. And then on different layers, like higher up in the, in the layers, you can uh, execute things or you can even vote from those chains. Um, there are te different technical solutions that you can achieve for achieving those things. Uh, you can allow bridges to vote. That's one of the technical uh, hacks you allow for voting in different chains. Um, and you can allow to, the DAO to be on Ethereum and then trade on Optimism, for example, and then go back to mainnet. And you can do that very cheap, actually. So that's kind of like the goal right now that are in silos and we want to move them higher up the, the layer so they can be cheaper to interact with 
and they can act against way more liquidity and protocols than the whole Ethereum ecosystem have. Very cool. And I think um, very well articulated as well. I, you know, I think a lot of people wrestle. It's obviously quite a complex subject matter, just even thinking about roll-ups and technically how they function, let alone the kind of second-order implications of the, how that I- I- impacts DAOs. So I think uh, I-, I followed it, and uh, I like to, you know, treat me like an idiot. Um, so if I followed it, hopefully other people um, uh, can as well. So th- thanks for doing that. And so specifically, what are you working on within the Aragon stack to enable that? What does that roadmap look like? We're still in, like, the discovery base of this. We have prototypes, um, but those are just prototypes for us to know and grasp the technology better. And that's what we normally do part of the discovery a, a little bit. It's like we first need to understand the technology and then we go into a discovery phase with our designers. We have great designers, product owners, more engineers to do the whole discovery process. Uh, so we don't really know yet what it's going to look like. We are still like discovering what is the be- best tech stack and what are the new innovations enabling us that in a few years we couldn't do. For example, I think CK technology is one of the key pieces here that they are, that it's so technical that people often miss. But the benefits that it has, it's actually huge for valves as well. You, like from instant withdrawals from any chain, which enables, um, like as I said, instant liquidity from anything with any protocol to privacy, for example, or even execution of bundles, which enables like cheaper transactions. The roadmap right now we are still in discovery. If you have ideas, please come to us. We can uh, grant uh, any development. We are with that. Right? And right now, what we're doing is basically just setting up what would be the concept of inter- like backend wise or like technology wise. How would those interactions between different chains would be like so there's a still like uh like i would say yeah one year one year and a half drug development that needs to happen for these visions to really accomplished and it has to come at the same time that these bridges and these uh new chains develop like as i said polygon announced two days ago they will really they will be releasing it in i would say march next year like I might be wrong, but like I would say March next year. So we need to advance as they advance. Like we cannot like do anything there yet. We don't have that power house to develop protocols and like chains and bridges. And yeah, I mean a year in crypto time is an eternity, right? So um, but it but it's great to get your sense of um the direction and you know we, we actually launched our first ZK cohort Q one of this year and the, the accelerator program with many of the uh, major ZK players, and I think we're already recruiting for for the second one. So, um, you know, when we were doing it at the time, we thought, is it maybe too early? Are we going to kind of get enough applications or enough people? Enough people got their head around the problems and opportunity, and and um, we were surprised by the, the level of founder working in this space. But that said, it is still maturing, right? It's still very, very, very nascent space. All right, so let's let's jump into the other part, which is this um, AI first concept, which I which I love, and you know, thinking of the user of the DAO stack as AI. Maybe maybe kind of walk us through that. And again, this was linked to another tweet you did. I think relatively recently, the tweet was: uh, "It's crazy the amount of uncertainty on what AI will bring in the midterm." 
even the so-called prompt engineers will shortly be disrupted. Uh, shortest job in history. I, I kind of agree with that uh, to a degree, actually, by the usage of vector uh, databases in LLMs. Now, I know that's a quite specific tweet, um, maybe doesn't give the full picture around being AI first. But yeah, walk us through AI first. AI first, that, that idea came from my mind because like, when I started like programming or maybe a few years later, like everyone was talking about mobile first, mobile first, whatever you do, mobile first. Um, and everyone was obsessed with AI first. When you are building software for other developers, as we sometimes are, like in our we have different uh, products, some of our like users that don't have to, like no code users, as people say, and we also have things from the pure developers. And when you're talking with developers nowadays, like in the last couple of months, you will see that a huge percentage of them and pro- like normally I would say, even this might offend so- like some developers, even I would say that the most efficient ones are the ones that are using AI. Developers are going to be using the AI or should be using the AI in the futures, in matures even, even more. Why don't we program it so the AI can actually give better results rather than focusing on developers purely? Obviously, developers, developers still need to be able to use this, right? But the whole point is like, if you make it in a way that they are it's able to um, use technology and then help the developers to do their job more efficiently, then you'll probably end up with better results. Developers love tooling. We spend hours and hours and hours just customizing the colors of our terminals, I like the backgrounds, I like all the stuff. This is another tool that developers will use. And if you focus on making that tool super efficient, you will make the developers efficient as well. That's a variable that you can control. Like AI is a variable that you can control, whereas the developer efficiencies, like per se, or the developer um, type of work is something that you cannot control. So if you go to and target AI, that you, that's a variable that you can effectively improve and you know that developers will actually improve as well. Prioritizing that kind of machine readability rather than necessarily how intuitive uh, the UX is for a for a human, right? So that's a really interesting approach. Like you know, you're building this stack, as you say, a huge amount of efforts going in, especially you know, developer tooling, documentation. You know, a huge amount of effort goes into that versus you know something which we assume AI you know could potentially do without. At what point do you flip the switch to to, to AI first? Are you, are you doing it or do you think it's it's a direction and and you think it you know it may be a year 18 months you you your primary user is ai or at least you you're creating tooling where you're thinking of the the primary user as AI. Like at least right now for us it's like a middle point um this tooling or that well just to give a little bit of context another one we are developing right now because we are famous for this like modularity on our Back, that means that you can uh, program plugins for your DAO that could do trading or you could do new governance models or like NFT voting or whatever. But also we do another models in the terms of like UI components that you can add into your DAO. So you can have like a dashboard of the coolest people in your DAO or a dashboard for chatting in the in your DAO, like whatever. We allow you to, to program those models or that's in the roadmap, not that we do it right now. So when giving you the component, like we are 
doing right now the development and the discovery of these components that you can put in the UI. And when doing the, these components, when programming them for the developers, something that we are taking into account is like, how is this going to be modeled afterwards in the AI? Like, is this going to be enough? Like, for example, in GPT, everything that you pass has to fit in messages. It's not like you can give it any formatting or anything like that. You have to say, um, I'm going to send you 10 messages. And this, I read them as they were, as if they were, if they were one. And then you send like 10 messages with different contexts. So at the end, like you can send millions of lines of code there, but the, the more information that you give, I will, the less focus, the, the worse it will be the result. So what we're trying to do is like create design components that are very specific and that the AI can use and it understands easily to then allow the developers to, to use perfectly. So it actually, like, for example, you mentioned before that maybe the, the AI won't need documentation because it wouldn't be able to read the code. <laughs> what, we are in what we are seeing right now is like, actually some, com some code documentation actually helps the AI because um, it can give context of what something means broader. Because like, code, code is very specific, goes towards one point. And unless you really understand the implications of that code, you cannot actually take decisions. Um, and right now, that's something that we feel that AI lacks. If you don't give the context of that functionality, it won't, it won't actually understand how to use it. So you actually need to do good documentation on the code. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the documentation is training, giving context, and then potentially will we'll allow it to do um, a greater range of activities. That's an interesting thought exercise though. Like what would an AI use a DAO for or how would it use DAOs? Are you thinking that it's just somebody would automate the, the creation and kind of design of a DAO? Or are you thinking that we're actually gonna have agent-based systems where agents will form DAOs together to kind of carry out economic work on behalf of people and organizations as like representatives. So I think that's going to still be like the agent based world. I think that's still going to need years of work. I think we are far from it in many levels. Right now, I would say DAOs are tailored for human governance, really. I, I wouldn't expect many AIs to need governance per se. They just take actions, right? They, like the governance between, the, like in the AI, it's internal. Like they come up with a solution and they execute. But they don't argue with each other to come up with a better, better decision. And if you go to the ChatGPT and you tell it, you're wrong, one plus one is three. It will tell you, ah, you're right, it's three. But they might negotiate, right? So they might, they might not debate an outcome, but they might negotiate an outcome because they could be representing different interests, I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess you could uh, like tell it to force a little bit the, the negotiation between them. They would need different parameters to take different decisions. And yeah, like that could be a possibility. I think though that we are still very far from it. What we are using in terms of like uh, AI for governance is like, 
we actually programmed in one of the hackathons that we do internally, like every three months we do an internal hackathon where people are able to hack whatever. And some of the projects that one project that I did like six, six months ago was exactly that. We have a forum where we post proposals and people are able to discuss whatever. Um, we did a tool where you got in Discord every week, like a summary of all those, all these proposals and other people's opinions. So you would be like, this is the summary of the proposal. And these are the takes, take A, take B. So you could take your own decisions. Um, that's something that I feel that is super interesting. And normally it works okay. Like it really understands. Also something is cool that you can actually give context of years ago, the AI, and it will be able to, to give you like, con like context on things that in the proposal itself are not. So for example, if I tell you the AA is asking for this and that. You don't know what the AA is. Like you are not in the forum every day. The AI can actually tell you, hey, there is a post here that talks about the AA. This is the Aragon Association. You can, like, this is the organization that does blah, 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 blah. Um, well, look, we're on the half an hour. I mean, we covered two two great topics. Uh, I really appreciate your, your time helping us kind of na navigate those two things. Super interested to, to see where we can explore around ZK. As I said, we've got we've got a growing portfolio in that area, so I'll definitely be sending them your way. So it's in the, uh, we actually have a team focused on ZK research. Like it's a team around twelve people at first, or as I remember, yeah, around ten to twelve to twelve, um, and they do right now. For example, they are doing for nouns like non-stop, they are doing private voting on chain, super decentralized. That's the whole focus. It might not, it probably won't be cheap. That's how it is. Gas expensive, it will be very gas expensive, but it's super decentralized private voting. And we are doing this in collaboration with Aztec and we are helping us developing Noir, the, their own language. So we are putting like a lot of effort into developing efficient, well, tools to enable new things with CK. So yeah, if you have any new uh startup going on or anything that you want to share with us we are super happy to collaborate yeah well let's uh, let, let's do that now you mentioned earlier if developers were working in in, in certain domains you know that you, you're kind of keen to support them with grants and stuff so if i'm a founder or a developer what's the best way to engage with you with aragon and uh, and to explore how they can unlock some financial support or developer support we have a forum on a DAO where people can go and ask for funds my recommendation is like, if you go there, like directly to the forum and make a proposal there, you probably are going to fail understanding the context or what are our needs, right? So that's the end goal. Like you make a proposal in our DAO, that's that DAO.org. But what I would recommend first is like going to us and discussing with that, um, what are the needs or what are the pain points that we're having? How can you solve that? And what, are, what is our recommendations in terms of like budget? or where you're working um so come to like either ping us on twitter any of us me or Aragon itself or you can come to our um so sorry i think i said discord like discord or twitter as both okay to start to bootstrap these conversations and we are more than eager to do so like in any of those channels we'll be able to discuss discord is preferable obviously because it's more open brilliant okay well look carlos thanks for coming on um definitely recommend uh, founders developers to get in touch with you guys um great to hear 
the direction of travel, um, or at least a thesis on it. Um, interesting, maybe to touch base with you in, in, in several months' time and, and see if you think we're still on track or how how we're progressing along that trajectory. But thanks for coming on, Carlos. Appreciate your time. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web three. 